Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. You had a pause there. Forgot what my job was for a hot second. Thankfully, I put it on the script in case you ever forget what your title is. Um, well, uh, hi, Katie. How's it going? Oh, hey, I'm doing great. How about yourself? Good. You know, um, this is completely unrelated to the pop shop, but um, here's a fun fact. Mm-hmm. Did you know that if you have a bottle of red wine in your house for too long, there's a danger of it actually decorking itself? And exploding across your entire kitchen. Please tell me that did not happen to you. Oh, it happened. Oh no! Came home, uh, came home last night, and I'm this like, this looks like a crime scene. Yes, this is terrifying. Red everywhere, <laughs> pools of red oh, all across the rug, the the cabinets. Stop. I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to be spending a lot of time in here with a lot of bleach. Oh my lord! Just, did it come off of things? It did. Oh it didn't God. come out of the rug completely. Oh. But um, <laughs> what a nightmare! Yeah. Okay, that is a PSA for anyone yes. who's got that wine bottle they opened for like a, you know, a pasta night like two weeks ago. Get it out. <laughs> oh, it, and it, no, this was never opened. Oh, it was never opened. It had never been opened. Oh, that's even crazier. It, 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 the the bottles were underneath uh, sort of a cabinet credenza sort of oh thing gosh. and I think it was just one of those things where like oh it's that bottle of wine that we haven't touched in like a long time Yeah, and it was like yeah you should have touched me a oh. long time ago <laughs> <laughs> wow. Anyway, so there's your completely unrelated moment. Uh, um, because as always, <laughs> the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop and occasionally wine <laughs> on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show... We've got chart news on how As It Was by Harry Styles spends a 13th week at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart, becoming one of just, well, 13 songs to spend 13 weeks or more at number one in the 64-year history of the chart. Look at that numerology. Yeah, I know. Uh, Plus, Styles' late-night talking jumps 12 to 3 after a surge in sales and promotion and he becomes the first act with concurrent songs in the top three on the chart this year. Plus, One Republic hits the Hot 100 Top 10 for the first time since 2014. Bad Bunny's Un Verano Sinti now has the most weeks at number one on the Billboard 200 Albums chart in more than a year. And Morgan Wallen's former number one album, Dangerous, the double album, breaks a top 10 longevity record on the Billboard 200. Also on the show, I was lucky enough to go see Lady Gaga at Dodger Stadium over the weekend, and I haven't told Keith a single thing about it yet, so we'll talk all about it. Plus, with so many pop stars playing stadiums right now, in addition to Gaga, The Weeknd and Bad Bunny are also touring stadiums, plus like, there's like a Motley Crue tour, there's all sorts of things at stadiums right now. What does it take to be a stadium headliner in the year 2022? Stick around for our discussion all about that. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast... Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. All right, let's do the chart chat. First up, As It Was by Harry Styles spends a lucky 13th non-consecutive week at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart, becoming one of just... 
13 songs to spend 13 weeks or more at number one in the 64-year history of the chart. Meanwhile, Harry's late night talking surges 12 to 3 on the Hot 100, surpassing its original number four peak when it debuted on the chart back in June. The track vaults up the list following a surge in sales for the track because on September 2nd, the song was released in Styles' official web store with new digital artwork, while he also released an instrumental version to purchase. Plus, he dropped three physical singles, how old-fashioned, that came out with both the original version of the song and the instrumental version as the B-side. These were a CD single, a 7-inch vinyl single, and a cassette single. I was going to ask, like, did a music video come out and I missed it? Nope. (laughs) Nope. So they still have that in their pocket, too. I wonder, I, I kind of wonder, like, maybe they timed this all for this week thinking that they had a shot at, like, maybe bumping himself from number one. Well, I mean, go, jumping to number three is pretty damn impressive, Yeah, I would but say. Wouldn't you rather jump to number one? Of course. I, yeah. I'm, I guess I have to wait until uh, later in the show to find out what's at number two this week. No, because I'm not telling you. Ah, you're not telling me? It's not Harry Styles. <laughs> well, both uh, As It Was and Late Night Talking are monster radio hits. As It Was returns to number one on the all-format radio songs chart, while Talking holds at number four. With As It Was and Talking at numbers 1 and 3 on the Hot 100 at the same time, Styles is the first artist to have two songs in the top three at the same time in 2022, and the first artist since Drake had the entire top five on the September 18th, 2021 dated chart. Katie, considering the enduring popularity of As It Was, as we look towards the end of the Grammy eligibility period, I think at the end of this month... Is as it was the front runner for record of the year. Hot take, hot take, hot take. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, it is a front runner. I won't say the front runner. I'm like, does that mean that for once Adele is going to lose record of the year? I think those are, I feel like if you're putting your ballot together now before nominations come out in November, Adele and uh, I should say Easy on Me and As It Was are. Two very, very strong choices for record of the year. Let's Especially, just tie. Let's just have a tie. Are we at eight or ten what for do you mean? nominations this year? Well, it should be ten. There were ten last year, well, right? There were ten last year. So we assume they're going to do ten again? I would like... I was going to say I would stake my children's lives on it, but I'm going to go ahead and not do that because I feel like the Academy can be wonky. So I'll just... It's a strong bet. I'd put a lot of money on it. Well, uh, next up, staying with the Hot 100, Nikki Yore and Daisy's Sunroof climbs 5-4 to four for a new peak. Post Malone's I Like You, a happier song featuring Doja Cat, rises 8-6, to six, another new peak. While Run Republic's I Ain't Worried jumps 14-8, to eight, giving the act its first top 10 hit since 2014 when Counting Stars hit number 2. I Ain't Worried is from the Top Gun Maverick soundtrack, which was released in May, the soundtrack's Hold My Hand by Lady Gaga, the first single from the album, peaked at number 49 in June. Maybe it's just me, and no shade to One <laughs> Republic, but I thought for sure, with all the hype around the debut of Hold My Hand, that and the fact that it was a new single by Gaga, that Hold My Hand would have been the more successful single, but here we are with One Republic clearly having the hit single from Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Um, so, Katie, 
Earlier this year, we pontificated that Hold My Hand seemed to be an immediate frontrunner for an Oscar nomination for Best Original Song based off of Gaga's track record at the Oscars, mm-hmm. having won the Oscar for writing Shallow for A Star is Born and having a previous Oscar nomination for Original Song, not to mention an acting nomination. But is the front runner now? I ain't worried. By the way, uh, Hold My Hand never even made the top 40 on the Hot 100. Well, okay. I have, have you seen Top Gun Maverick yet? Uh, Keith? No, but Neither you, have I. Oh, well. My, uh... Should we have just, like, said well, that out loud? My pro... That's fine. I feel like everyone else has seen it for us, and it's now available on VOD, so I'll probably watch it soon. But I, without having seen the film, I have a hard time, because you know the Oscars really value its placement in the film. Yeah. Is Hold My Hand just a credit song, or is it in the film? Same with I'm Not Worried. I don't know. And um, I ain't worried. I'm sorry. I corrected the grammar on that song title. Um, But to me, Hold My Hand feels like a more bombastic film song. Mm -hmm. I Ain't Worried is like a great pop radio song. Like, I I think I understand why it's a bigger hit. But Hold My Hand feels like the more nomination worthy one to me. Just listening to both of them side by side. Well, clearly we are not the correct people to be talking about this. This is fair. But, but. Um, hold my hand not to jump ahead to the next section of our conversation post chart chat, but hmm. hold my hand was Gaga's encore song at Dodger, Dodger Stadium. She treated it like it is the biggest movie song that ever existed. As <laughs> as she should. <laughs> and she made me believe it. So maybe that's why I'm talking because I'm like high on Gaga right now. Well, uh, before we get to the Gaga at Dodger Stadium chat, let's uh, do one more chart chart stat. Yes. Chart chart chat moment um over on the billboard 200 albums chart bad bunnies un verano senti returns to number one for a 10th non-consecutive week that's the most weeks at number one for any album in 2022 surpassing the nine weeks that the encanto soundtrack had at number one and it's the most weeks atop the chart in more than a year since morgan wallen's dangerous the double album spent 10 weeks all consecutive from its debut at number one atop the list in January through March of 2021. Speaking of Wallen, his Dangerous album has broken the record for the most weeks in the top 10 on the Billboard 200 among albums by a singular artist since the chart began publishing on a regular weekly basis on March 24th, 1956. The album collects an 86th non-consecutive week in the top 10, surpassing the 85 non-consecutive weeks tallied by Peter, Paul, and Mary's self-titled album in 1962 through 1964. The latter album spent seven non-consecutive weeks at number one in 1962 and 1963 and included the top 10 Billboard Hot 100 hit, If I Had a Hammer. Dangerous debuted atop the January 23rd, 2021 dated chart and spent its first 10 weeks at number one. It has only fallen out of the weekly top 10 once since its arrival on the list. It was squeezed out of the top 10 over Christmas time when a bunch of Christmas albums uh, pushed it out of the top 10. The album includes two Hot 100 top 10s and seven top 10s on Billboard's Hot Country Songs chart, including the number ones Seven Summers and Wasted on You. Very Very popular album. Now, pointing out here, I talked about singular artist because... Seven albums still have more weeks in the top 10 than Dangerous, and all are multi-artist soundtracks and cast recordings. 
the album with the most weeks in the top 10 is the original cast recording of My Fair Lady with 173 (laughs) weeks in the top 10 between 1956 and 1960. Calling it, that will never be broke. (laughs) I don't think well. Ever. Ever. We don't know. In three years from now, we could talk about Morgan Wallen still in the top it's ten. It's fair. It's fair. At the rate Bad Bunny's going, he could be in the top ten <laughs> in the next you know ten years from now. So Keith, yeah, I went and saw Lady Gaga at Dodger Stadium this weekend. I was very jealous. <laughs> did you? You are. You knew I was going beforehand, or did you know? Did you find out from Instagram? Um, no, I knew you were going because I think we both perhaps got the same invite a few oh, weeks ago. Oh, that's right. That's right. And I could not go because I was on a plane. All right. That's a good reason to not go. <laughs> I would have loved to have gone. Uh, um, it was great. Uh, the, I had seen Gaga, like a full Gaga concert before at the Forum in August of 2017. I know that that's when it was because I was pregnant, nine, about nine months pregnant with Calvin and like literally went into labor at that concert. So I very much remember, very memorable concert for me. Um, so I was wondering like what the Calvin difference. Calvin might have been born. He was born ah, born this way two days later. Mm. (laughs) Um, But I was wondering what the difference would be between the Forum Arena show and the Dodger Stadium, you know, ballpark show. And um, she really, I mean, it's called the Chromatica Ball Tour. She definitely, like, it's heavy on Chromatica. Ten songs from Chromatica. How many songs are on Chromatica? Uh, Good question. Twelve? Not that many. There were ten songs from from the album, though. Wow. Did you know that from my reporting? Um, Well, I didn't read the story yet. Oh, I wrote a story. You wrote a story, yeah, I, which I have not read. I'm keeping myself completely <laughs> innocent. in the dark. Um, but I am curious how many songs are on command. Anyway, we'll we'll move along. Um, the uh, the show is split up into acts, and the very first three songs that she does for the tour, like it's the 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 concert started with bad romance. Like, she's like, let's just do Bad Romance immediately. And then she did, um, let me make sure I'm getting this right. I'm, like, looking up so much stuff. There's 16 songs on Chromatica. Okay, so she did more than half of Chromatica. She started with Bad Romance, then did Just Dance, then did Poker Face. So she started with three old songs. Yes. I think because the rest of it was so very, like, strategically organized with these acts. She had act. Like each thing was a separate act, separate costume, separate, um, you know, setup with the dancers and and stage setup. She came like the I don't know if you've seen any videos from any of the this this concert or previous Chromatica Ball uh, dates, but she starts out like wearing this like stone dress like she looks like a statue. Uh-huh. So she's not moving. It's just like her head in like a stone dress Singing doing bad, bad romance. romance. So it's all facial expressions and. She's singing it like she's like a robot pop star or something. Uh-huh. Um, it it all, you know, it's all very gaga and, and it all has a point, I'm sure. I'd love to ask her all about it. But um, she then, like when she got into the next, in the next acts, that's when she got into um, songs from Chromatica. Um, and she did pretty much like the first like three acts, I think. Yeah, three and a half acts were all just like hardcore dancing um, movement, singing, crazy costumes, crazy production. 
and fireballs shooting up from the stage and just like, you know, just wild. And then once she made herself made her way to the, um, you know, in the round stage that's right in the middle of the field, mm-hmm. um, then she's like behind a piano and all of a sudden it's like this human being instead of this robot lady that's been performing for you for, you know, a dozen songs or whatever. And she did it with Born This Way. Oh. She did it on piano to start and and just like was talking to the crowd like during Born This Way, like, you know, talking about how, you know, she wanted everyone to like know who they were. And, you know, I think everybody in this building looks like they know exactly who they are and all this sort of stuff. Mm. It was very nice. And and then she did a whole like stripped down set of things with the piano, including Shallow and uh, Always Remember Us This Way from A Star Is Born. Okay. Um, because at the beginning of the show, you're thinking, how is this woman going to perform Shallow? Like, how is this woman, the same woman who's like, right. you know. The, the brutalist architecture robot lady. <laughs> how is that How is that going to sing Shallow? Well, she's in like a, like an alien insect costume As for she Shallow. As sure. There's like a her guitarist is like playing the like super strummy like acoustic thing, and then she sits at the she piano. She's dressed as a cockroach, and, and totally. And then she belts <laughs> out "Shallow" all of a sudden. And then always remember us this way. I was really I didn't look at set list before I came. I was super pleased that she did that as well from "A Star Is Born." Obviously, "Shallow" is the massive um, hit number one on that 100. Mm-hmm. Always remember us this way though. In the movie, is like a big performance showpiece for like her character. And it was, like, so cool and weird and meta to, like, see that live. Oh, right. You know what I mean? Like, now Gaga is performing it, not Allie from A Star Is Born. Anyway, this woman, she works miracles. She knows how to, like, take all these... That's that's only midway through the show. Like, Jamillion personas that she has and turn them into, like, one concert. She has a million reasons. A million Oh, that's a song she didn't sing, (laughs) Keith. (laughs) Okay. That's a a song that she did not perform. Did, um, so, uh... Well, I have lots of questions. Okay, hit me. Um, uh, how long was the show? Um, it was a couple hours. It was two plus hours. That's Twenty-two long. songs. Were there like medleys and snippets? Nope. They seemed like full songs. Oh, all of them were full songs. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of surprising. Yeah. Um, were there any like? Uh, were there any surprise guests or special? zero? No. I was okay. waiting as a as for a, Ariana to show up. As a uh, Ariana was my me. number one pick. People in the crowd were uh, were clocking Blackpink because they knew that they were in the U.S. still, I believe. Uh-huh. So a lot of fans that I spoke with around me had that theory. Uh, no somebody Cooper. shot down Ariana real quickly for me. Somebody had a reason why she was not going to be there. I'm like, okay, fine. And then, um, yeah, no Bradley Cooper. Um, uh, but she did all those songs, no by Colby the way. No Colby O'Donis for Just <laughs> Dance. You know what's funny? When she does Just Dance, she you know does not say red like the one. red one part, but she does go, ga, ga. <laughs> and it made me think, I was just thinking about red one and Colby O'Donis while watching that. <laughs> good uh, for them. Yeah, good for them. <laughs> Colby O'Donis I probably has a songwriting credit on the song. Yeah. It's just counting money. Yeah. Um, so were there any like big hits that she didn't do? Okay, so my friend I took to the show, she and I, the first thing we did was like, look, we felt like there were some songs left on the floor, but we couldn't exactly place what they were. Her biggest alleged, uh, let me just say, I, what I think is her biggest Hot 100 hit. That's probably Bad Romance. Oh, what I think is her biggest Hot 100 hit that she did not perform. Oh, okay. Was Paparazzi. Oh, well, she didn't you know. perform Paparazzi. I mean, that's all right. The most surprising one that she didn't perform, to me at least, was You and I. Because she loves performing that one live. Maybe it's too slow. 
She was already doing a bunch of slow so, songs. So and she also so she she slowed down Edge of Glory. She did um Edge of Glory on the piano and talked through it and never really did the real radio version that you know. Like there was no saxophone in, in the mix. Um, and so I think that Edge of Glory, the way she performed it, she kind of performed it like you and I. It's like um, they, she kind of replaced you and I with Edge of Glory singing in the style of you and I. So she did Just Dance. Yes. She did Poker Face. Uh-huh. Uh, she did Love Game. Yes. Oh. oh, my God. That was such a delight. That's like one of my favorite songs from uh, the fame, and I was so pumped to hear it. Hmm. So no paparazzi. She did Bad Romance. She did Telephone. Yes. It's too bad Beyonce, Beyonce did not show, show up. up. You know, they've still yet to actually perform that song. I know. Together. And wouldn't it have been a moment? Now, Beyonce doesn't show up to somebody else's stage. She's going to bring Gaga out on her stage to do that song. Gaga's very collaborative. She'll show up where, where you want her to. I wish they would do that <laughs> song together. Alejandro? No. Mm. Is that her next biggest hit she didn't do? No, I'm just I'm just going through the singles. Okay. Uh, I love Alejandro, too, so I was kind of bummed about that. She did Born This Way. Judas? No. Nope. That's what I was waiting. She kind of like uh, you can't had do everything. You know those like intro video or like the interstitial videos that she has. Like she did one that was very like religious looking, and I was like, "Oh, oh Ju- Judas oh. is coming!" Judas, Judas. Yeah, I was ready. I was ready. Um, so no, you and I. So no, the lady is a tramp with Tony Bennett. <laughs> Correct. Tony Bennett didn't show up. There was no jazz. Mary the night. No, Mary the night. Mm. I like that song. No applause. Wait, now now that I said that out loud, let me make sure I'm All right. right about Mary the night. Yeah, no, Mary the night. I had heard she does. She did nothing from art pop, so she didn't do applause, did she? Did not do applause. Mm. So that's probably the next biggest hit she didn't do. So that means well, she certainly wasn't doing do what you want. Correct. Her <laughs> R. Kelly duet was not involved. Um, Perfect Illusion. Nope. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. What about Joanne? Was uh, I mean, like, what? I'm just now. I'm saying this out loud. Like, what about Joanne? Well, you said she didn't do anything from Art Pop. Well, Perfect Illusion, Million Reasons. Though, I don't think she. Did, oh, she did Angel Down from Joanne, oh, that's which she gave a little speech about why you know, like why she was doing that. To be fair, I, I got a little emo about that because like that song was written about Trayvon Martin. Oh. But um, but I have to say I like listened to it for the first time in the context of like school shootings and it really like made mm. me bummed out. So I don't know if that was her intention, but as a mom, that's how I took it. Okay, so uh, not she didn't do all the hits, but she did a lot of hits. A she, lot of hits. It was mostly a Chromatica dedicated show. Correct. You already talked about Fireballs. Um, <laughs> oh, and Fireworks too. And Fireworks, but you're seeing this in Dodger Stadium, which holds. Over 50,000 people. So 52,000 tickets were sold to the show. And you were standing on the floor. So that's correct. I was the on the field, row 10, uh, and I was very, feeling very, like, lucky. Does it? Did it feel like the people up in the nosebleeds were getting the same kind of energy and show that you got? I mean, listen, I've been in both positions myself as a fan or, you know, like, working a concert and... Um, it's going to be different, obviously. It's a very different experience. But she had incredible video screens, as you need to for yeah. something like this. Incredible video screens. And they they did the um, bracelets, the light-up bracelets oh, across yeah. the stadium. I feel like she tried her damnedest to get every person as involved as possible. It feels like, um, as I sort of transition a bit, well, if, if you haven't seen the Chromatica ball, clearly Katie's recommending it. 
Oh, please, yes. It's about it's, to wrap up, though, probably. And, and, and why Keith and I wanted to talk about this is because, like, she just felt so inherently like a stadium artist at the show. Like, she commanded that audience so well. They were chanting her name at the right moments. They were screaming at the right moments. They were emotional at the right moments. She, like, just owned that 52,000-person crowd. And um, I think that she's at a point in her career where she's got all these fan bases coming from different directions. I mean, she's right. not just the, you know, you know, bizarre, arty Gaga. She obviously like somebody who wanted to just see Shallow live for the first time. You know, somebody wanted to, um, you know, maybe they wanted the Tony Bennett duet. I'm sorry that didn't happen for you. But like she's got such a wide fan base that like, you know, she can get 52,000 people to show up. Also, if you, you know, so uh, let's tra- let's transition a bit, yeah, and say you know it feels like, in a, without having any expert research in front of me, it feels like it is more normal now for there to be lots of stadium shows by pop stars, yeah, um, compared to say 30, 40, 20 something years ago, where that was really reserved for like. Big stadium rock bands like U2. The Rolling Stones. Right. Where, you know, maybe due to technological capabilities at the time, it was hard to kind of fill a a stadium. Productions were too expensive, too cumbersome, too. And also it was probably... You know, it was like sound, like sound equipment did not, was not conducive for a rock concert in a stadium place place, a stadium place. But now with, you know, so many more stadiums being rigged for shows of this nature, you know, when you have stadiums being purpose built to broadcast and have HD screens everywhere, like imagine seeing a show at like SoFi Stadium now where it's like rigged up for everything visual. their screen at SoFi is like so insane and I'm sure that they thought of concerts while building that screen. So, you know, when I think back to when I was starting to see stadium shows for the first time in like the late 90s, the first stadium shows I saw were uh, U2 for the Pop Mart tour at the Coliseum in Los Angeles and the Rolling Stones for, I think it was the Bridges to Babylon concert tour in 97. And the Bridges to Babylon uh, tour was at Dodger Stadium. And the the, the trick they did, because Stones were, were and always are known for like sort of how they were able to fill an enormous stage with things to delight the eye for these 60,000 people that are there that can't see Mick Jagger up close right. beyond just having big screens. And in that tour, they had um, an actual bridge that extended itself from the main stage and built itself. All the way to Babylon. No, to the center <laughs> stage. But it oh, went, so yeah. it was like this, I love it, that. It was like this metal stage that emerged out of the stage. The, the, it, was a, it was a metal bridge that came out and went over the audience. That's awesome. So there wasn't a catwalk. Right. It turned into a catwalk above human beings. Whoa. And then once it finished building, the four stones walked across it to the B stage in the middle and played a set in the middle. That's awesome. So they literally built a bridge to Babylon. Yeah. But that's the trick. Back then, you really needed to figure out a way to fill a stadium so that people up in the nosebleeds would feel like they were getting a proper show. Today, it's a lot easier to do that with fireballs and screens and pyrotechnics and the light-up bracelets and all of that. We just didn't have that 20, 30, 40 years ago. I'm realizing I know what my first stadium concert was. NSYNC. 
Really? Yeah, because they For were the Pop at tour? um they yes, they were at um uh Comerica Park where the Detroit Tigers play. So, yeah. Like I I actually was thinking I hadn't seen any stadium shows until I started like working at Billboard, but that's not the case. So, it feels like now Artists say, I mean, look, The Weeknd had to sadly cut off his show a little bit early at SoFi last week. But had a show on Friday but night that was successful. Night. Bad Bunny is on a stadium tour. Ed Sheeran's yeah. doing a stadium tour. Um, and they're they're very different artists. Oh, my gosh. Ed Sheeran, that's wild. I saw him at Staples Center. Sort of a one-man show, And he literally, yeah. I mean, like, is he still not touring with a band? Like, is it still just him? That's wild. I mean, because, like, you know, Gaga, like, she obviously commanded the crowd while she's in the center of it just with a piano. But, like, then she also has the big production that you kind of expect from yeah. something. And as we were talking about the weekend, neither of us have seen that show, but we saw pictures and videos from it. He's got, like, a full-size, like, moon, like, rising over the stadium. It, it The production looks insane as for that does. show. As one does. So do you feel like, um, you know— there's like a different requirement for like who can headline a stadium now versus when you first saw those shows in the nineties. Like, is it, is it a more uh, democratic system More more pop stars can get involved in this? I feel like, I'm not sure if anyone really wants to see a stadium show because you always feel like you're going to be too far away from the action. However, because of the way stadium shows are now produced, it, it, probably feels like less of a burden to go see a stadium show. Right. You know what's funny? You should say that, though, real quick. I, I What I like about going to a stadium show is how big the crowd is, because I like to I like to be involved in, like, this big the moment. The enormity of the moment. Yeah, like, I think back to seeing Paul McCartney at Dodger Stadium, the, like, Hey Jude sing-along with everyone doing the na-nas at the end. Like, that's, like, a huge communal experience that you can only get from a show of that size, yes. right? Yes. The, 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 when you see a show in a stadium and it has fireworks, fireballs, lasers, a moon rising. And you, you feel like the whole city of Los Angeles is there with you, even though they're not, obviously. It, 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 <laughs> makes, it makes it for a much bigger moment than a theater show yeah. or an arena show. Yeah, and it feels like um, one of the very few large, like, pop culture community experiences we have, like, in person. Like, you think about how varied people's tastes are, but when you're in the building with 52,000 people, you're like, oh, we're all on the same page here <laughs> for a brief moment. So, yeah. So go to see a stadium show, guys. <laughs> it's great fun. And now it's time for the Chart Stat of the Week. I just can't stop loving We're going to talk about someone who has filled stadiums in the past. Oh, yeah? 35 years ago, on the September 19th, 1987, dated Hot 100, Michael Jackson and Saida Garrett's I Just Can't Stop Loving You hit number one. The song rose two to one on the chart and spent one week atop the list. The duet was the first single from Jackson's Bad Album and the first of a then record five number ones from a single album. Only Katy Perry would later match that record with five number ones from her Teenage Dream album in 2010 and 2011. I Just Can't Stop Loving You was Jackson's seventh of 13 number ones and Garrett's first. The Bad Album would later generate number ones in its title track, The Way You Make Me Feel, Man in the Mirror, and Dirty Diana. By the way, Man in the Mirror was co-written by Saeed Oh, I didn't know that. 
That is how she sort of came into the bad project. I see. I interviewed Garrett in 2016 at RuPaul's DragCon. I was I moderated a panel that had Saida Garrett, Debbie Gibson, and Michelle Visage oh, on it. The divas. The divas. The 80s of the lady. Uh, 80. I think it was called uh, Ladies of the 80s. I love that. Um, and Saida talked about working with Jackson and the song's producer Quincy Jones, remarking about how she and Jackson sounded similar on the track. Uh, she says that freaked Quincy out. He said, God damn it, if I close my eyes, I can't tell where you start and Michael begins. And Michael, she says, he sounded like me on purpose. She added that, quote, it was the most surreal time of my whole life. I mean, Michael Jackson, for God's sakes. True. Um, Garrett also co-wrote Man in the Mirror, as I said a moment ago, for Jackson and sang the original demo of the track, which, of course, uh, clearly sealed the deal. Can you hear that somewhere, the demo? I don't know. I would love... To hear, especially hearing that he purposefully tried to sound like her. It's like you want to hear what her version was like before he did it, you know? You might be surprised to know that I Just Can't Stop Loving You was always intended to be a duet. But it was originally supposed to be a duet with Whitney Houston. Really? But Houston's label at the time, Arista Records, thought Houston might be overexposed if she did the duet. So Arista, of course then run by the legendary Clive Davis, nicks the idea. Amusingly, in the documentary that accompanies the 25th anniversary deluxe reissue of the Bad Album, Mariah Carey was interviewed, and she jokes about hearing how Arista and Clive turned down the duet. Quote, when I see Clive, I'm going to give him hell. Just kidding, just kidding. Everybody calm down. Ah. Clearly, Mariah wanted to have heard Whitney and Michael <laughs> together. And if we believe Wikipedia, Barbara Streisand was also earmarked for the song, but she declined the offer as wow. well, apparently. Wow. Well, what was a missed moment for Houston turned into a huge opportunity for Saida Garrett, who became Jackson's duet partner at Quincy's suggestion. So there you have it. 35 years ago, I Just Can't Stop Loving You hit number one on the Hot 100. Right, we've reached the end of our big show. Any parting words, Katie? That was a very educational chart stat of the week. Cool. I learned so many little tidbits. What song should we go out on? Oh, man. Um, man, I don't know. Gaga? Sure. Um, should we listen to a song that she didn't play? <laughs> sure. Or is that weird? <laughs> no, it's not weird. Um, I feel like, uh, actually, one of my favorite songs from Chromatica, after like diving back into the album before the concert, is Replay. So I'd like to hear a little bit of Replay. We'll go out on that. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.